Welcome back to the sermon podcast from Redlands First United Methodist Church. I'm glad to have you with us again this week. A very good friend of mine is fond of saying, comparison is the thief of joy. It's simple, elegant, and very much to the point. How much of our life and joy is diminished when we start comparing ourselves to someone else? We start to see ourselves in terms of too much or not enough compared to people around us. This is a particularly harmful practice when we consider faith and discipleship. When we start to measure ourselves against the people we perceive to be icons of the faith, we are often left wanting. Maybe we are too caught up in the rendering of their story with its compressed for time quality, which makes everything seem fast and easy. In any case, it is easy to believe that too much relies upon our own strength and initiative. The one subplot in the scripture stories that center this worship experience and sermon is that Paul's call and Peter's redemption are certainly not initiated by Paul or by Peter. It is the risen Christ who is present and at work, who initiates contact and gets the redemptive work rolling. To be certain, we do have a role to play in faith and renewal, but it is not to initiate it. The hard choice of discipleship is letting go of our perception of self-reliance and our tendency for comparison. It is enough for us to trust and embrace the initiative that God is right now taking in our life. Our Gospel reading today is from the book of John. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he showed himself in this way. Gathered together were Simon Peter, Thomas the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the others of the, his, two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach. But the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul uh, haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon heard that, It was the Lord. He put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net of full fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore. Full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. 
When they were finished with breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Jesus felt hurt because he said it to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow older, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. Let the church hear what the Spirit is saying. Our reading from the book of Acts comes to us from chapter 9, verses 1 through 20. This is the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. Now, the first chapters of Acts, there's a lot going on. The Holy Spirit is working through the disciples in some really profound ways. And this story of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus gets kind of dropped right into the middle of that. So that's why it starts meanwhile. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice, but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. The Lord said, get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. I think he's saying, yeah, no, hard pass, not me. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings 
and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days, he was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Let the church hear what the Spirit is saying. We are listening. Friends, I would invite you to pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. We love, as a people, I think, the human community, we love the mythology of redemption stories. You know, redemption stories, those those stories that have been told as, as long as humans have been telling stories about people who were walking a path and they, they strayed from the path and all manner of harm and evil came to them and yet they found their way back onto the path. They found their way back into good graces. They found their, their self um, restored with family, with, with community, with God. We love these stories. And sometimes the bigger the story, the better. The more grandiose, the more epic. We, we like those stories because they're, they're simple. They're pretty compact, at least in the way most of them get told. And it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's like turning a light switch. Okay, Switch is off, you're off the path. Something happens, the light goes off, thunder, lightning, the flip switch. Flip switches, yeah, switch flips. And they're right back to where they were. No harm, no foul, it's all good. And I think one of the reasons that we like that story is that we hope for that same experience ourselves, right? Because we make mistakes. We make mistakes, we step off the path, we lose our way, we, we, we self-tempt or are tempted by other things and we're, we're just, we're lost. We're lost. And we're looking for a way back. That redemption feels amazing. And yet there's a little bit of a wrinkle in these stories, particularly when we talk about Scripture, particularly when we talk about the stories that Scott and I read about Peter and about Paul. Okay? And this is where one of my favorite expressions of all times comes into play. Comparison is the thief of joy. Okay, have you heard that? Comparison is the thief of joy. One of the problems when we look at Scripture and we look at the the stories of people like Peter and Paul, whose example we are supposed to, to, to follow, whose lives we're supposed to emulate, sometimes we we lose the full impact of the story because we start to compare ourselves. And a lot of times, and I, and I have been in this place, 
where I would compare myself to somebody that I see in Scripture or one of the, the, the giants of the early church or one of the giants of the Methodist movement or you know, even in our own lifetime, you know, people who, are, who have really done amazing work and amazing ministry, I, I look at them and I think, Phew, I'm not them. Ooh, phew, I can't be them. Okay? There's no way. And we lose the impact. And I think that some of that is because we look at these stories and we look at how these redemption stories get told and it feels a lot like so much relies on us. Okay? That we wake up one day, stay with me, I know that's, that's grossly oversimplified, but we wake up one day and we're off the path. How did we get here? Okay? And, and being doers that, that most of us are, we start looking for, we look for our compass, we look for our GPS, we look for a map, we look for somebody who can guide us back. And yes, men do ask for directions, okay? We think a lot of it relies on us. And sometimes we don't have the energy. Sometimes we don't have the will. Sometimes we don't even know where the first step is going to be. And so we feel kind of stuck. But one of the problems that, get, that, that, that we identify in this does have a solution. And the solution is to recognize that it doesn't all rely on us. And it never has. No matter what the redemption stories in stage and song and screen would tell us. No matter how scripture stories get interpreted um, by preachers or by ourselves. It never has totally relied on us. And these two stories are prime examples. Okay, They are prime examples that... that, that Paul's conversion and Peter's return to a life of ministry are not self-initiated. In both of these stories, they are Jesus-initiated stories. And they're not the only two stories post-Easter that are Jesus-initiated stories. Remember I said at the beginning of Acts, there's a lot going on here. Jesus is working overtime after Easter. The Holy Spirit is working overtime after Easter. And Paul's story, particularly, is plopped right down in between the conversion of an Ethiopian eunuch by the disciple, the apostle Philip, and Peter's ministry with Cornelius. The Ethiopian eunuch, who had come to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage to worship, would have been an outcast. He may have come to Jerusalem on pilgrimage to work with but because he was a eunuch from um, the court of the Queen of Africa, he would have been an outcast. Hard pass. No way in. And Philip, led by the Spirit, goes out to minister to this Ethiopian eunuch and gives him a way in. A way to know Christ, a way to know God more deeply. And then Cornelius. Cornelius, a Gentile of some renown ministered to by Peter and comes to Jesus. See, all of this, 
all of these great stories of redemption, all of these great stories of conversion are Jesus-initiated. And Paul is no prince. The former Saul of Tarsus, while he may not have been a murderer in and of himself, when Stephen was stoned earlier on in the book of Acts, it, Paul, is, Paul is knee-deep in it. I can expect that he arranged for it, and he was holding everybody's coat while they stoned Stephen to death. And he was about to do the same thing in Damascus. And yet Jesus breaks into that moment. First, Paul doesn't wake up on the road and go, Hey, Jesus, you there? Jesus comes to him. He's led in. He's blind. His eyes are open, but he can't see. And Ananias led by Jesus to minister to him, to bring healing, to be the, the, the means by which he becomes baptized. But even in that moment, when the scales fall and the eyes are opened and he's baptized and the heavens part and you know, presumably the Holy Spirit comes down and he begins to preach and witness in the synagogues, it's months, if not years, before we know the fully formed Paul the Apostle the writer of letters to the Corinthians, Corinthian church and the church in Galatia. All of these great things that we recognize about Paul are not things that he initiates. They are Jesus-initiated, and he has teachers and guides and helpers all along the way to help him walk this path. Redemption doesn't just happen in a blink and be gone. It's the rest of his life walking into the promise and the call. Peter is no different. Peter, remember, this is, this is post-Easter. Peter, he, went, he goes in, we talked about this last week, he goes in, he looks in the tomb, he looks around, and he sees that the tomb is empty, and the grave clothes are folded up, and he goes, hmm. Remember last week we did? Hmm. He's amazed, but he goes home. And now, in John, we know what he went home to. He didn't go home to contemplate. He didn't go home to pray. He didn't go home on a retreat. He went home and went back to work, back to what he knew. He went back to fishing. James and John with him, they're, they're fishing. They're back to normal. It's like, oh, well, that's you know three years I'll never get back. Jesus comes to him. And this is the Peter, remember, who, in the, in the courtyard of the temple, denies Jesus three times. Hence, when Jesus comes and breaks bread with Peter, it's, Peter, do you love me? Oh, yeah, I love you, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Oh, yeah, I love you, Lord. Peter, do you love me? You know everything, and you know that I love you. Denial, reconciliation, and then ministry. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Take care of my flock. Jesus initiated. And like with Paul, with Peter, he would spend the rest of his life understanding and living into that promise that was made that day. The thing that is important for us to recognize and you know to share it with the kids is that that 
that promise, that God-initiated promise is still active in our lives, my life and your life today. Jesus is still working. The risen Christ is still leading and guiding us present today. Wherever it is, however it is, we end up off the path. And there are as many ways to get off the path as there are days in the week and month and year and in our life. But Jesus always will initiate for us a way home. And our part in that, like with Paul, like with Peter, like with fill in the blank, all of the people and all of the redemption stories, when an opportunity was given, when a gift was presented, they did their part by saying, yeah, yeah, yes, I will go where you lead. I will follow where you lead. I will love and serve where you show. Over the course of the last, um, well, now this is the fourth week from Palm Sunday on, we've been talking about this promise that for us as disciples of Christ is rooted in the resurrection story. And for lack of a better name, I, I would call this the seven basic truths of our life. These seven basic truths are at the root of what God continues to initiate in our life today. God loves you. Been hearing it since we were this high, right? God loves you. And yet how easy is it to forget that in the, in, in the midst of everything, particularly when we feel like we have strayed somehow, where we have made a mistake. God loves you. God is present with you. I mean, not just the notion of God being present with you, but God is present with you now in this moment. God heals what is broken within us. God restores us from separation into community. God calls us to be a part of this work, just as God called Paul, just as God called Peter. God calls us and equips us and guides us to do the work that He called Peter to do, that He called Paul to do, to be witnesses, to care for Jesus' family. To feed my flock. Loves us, present with us, heals us, restores us, calls us, equips us, and guides us always. And I, I, I can't reiterate this enough. And I realize, as, and as I was sharing with the kids, thinking about that, this, th these last four weeks in this the, the kind of rooting of this idea in my own life and faith as I think about what comes next in terms of what we do here, that 
Truth has been the North Star. I haven't always been able to realize it or articulate it in quite this way. But from that moment, I was riding home from work and I said, God, I'll trust you. And there's the key word. Trust. I will trust you that all of these seven things that we can name right now, that you're, gonna, that, that you're there. You got my back, I got your back, let's do this together. Forty years ago, I had no idea what I was getting into. Forty years later, looking at the next years of my life, I have no idea what we're getting into. I don't. Post-pandemic ministry, no clue, no book, no idea about like actually how to do it, but here's the one thing I know. Because of these things that we can name about God and how God initiates and God guides all of this, I know that we will figure it out together because y'all are a pretty smart group of people. Wearing the robe, leading the table, preaching every week. I mean, this North Star idea, it's not just me. I'm not special. I'm a pilgrim, like you. One day at a time, trying to figure out what it means to respond to the love of God that has guided and, 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 and powered my life ever since I can remember. This is, this is our hope. The hard choice. The hard choice. Making the hard choice means that we give up on relying totally on ourselves, And we trust that where Christ leads us in this will be where we need to be. So friends, let's make the hard choice together. <sighs> Take a deep breath. That always helps. Take a deep breath. Say in whatever way the prayer makes sense to you, all right, God, I trust you. Let's walk this path together. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from Redlands First United Methodist Church. I hope that it has been a source of inspiration and encouragement for your spiritual journey. If you're interested in more information about the church, we would invite you to come to our website at redlandsfirstchurch.org. We hope you will join us in person, online, or via this podcast each week as together we open our lives to the movement of the Holy Spirit that we might grow in faith and be strengthened in the ways that we reflect Christ's presence in the world. Thank you.